Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. We come now to day 249, which brings us back to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Today, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us and for the gift of another day to spend in your word. We thank you for this wonderful book of Colossians. We pray that your spirit would help us to understand your word, illuminate our understanding of it, and would also write it on our hearts, impress it deeply upon us that we might see and love Christ more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to fix that because it's driving me crazy. It's been that way for several days, hasn't it? Yep. Uh, <clears throat> that's what happens when you take a book out and you don't fix it. Okay. Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as though you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings, 
These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Colossians chapter 2. This is a challenging passage, uh, difficult to understand well, but if we're careful and we stick to scripture as our guide to understanding this, I think we can get great, great treasure out of this chapter, which is wonderful. I want to, I scrolled up a little bit to Colossians 1 because I just want to remind you of what Paul had just said uh, in verse 27 of chapter 1, that the, the riches of the glory of this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so now in verse 2 of chapter 2, he's praying, right? He's praying in a great struggle. Paul is earnestly praying with a great struggle. Now, what's he praying for? Is he praying for somebody to be healed of cancer? Is he praying for someone to get a new job? No, he's praying earnestly that their hearts may be encouraged and knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding, the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the bottom line of this is the mystery of God, kept hidden for ages past, but revealed now in the gospel, is that Christ, Christ is God made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, and that by the Holy Spirit, Christ is in us and the hope of glory. And what Paul desires for the Colossians and for really for every Christian, he says he prays it for the Laodiceans and for all who have not seen me face to face. He would be praying it for us since we never met the Apostle Paul or saw him face to face. This is his earnest desire for all Christians is that our hearts will be encouraged, that we will be strengthened, we will have comfort, we will have courage in our hearts, knit together in love. How does that happen? Well, that happens when, when, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we know Christ more and more, that we reach the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In other words, we know Christ more and more, we love Christ more and more. Our hearts are knit together in love from Christ, in Christ, for Christ, for one another, together as the church. The more robustly, the more deeply and authentically a Christian community, a church, is Christ-centered and Christ-rooted, the more we grow in our assurance of God's love for us, in our understanding and our knowledge, because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. So we grow in understanding, how did God make this world? What is God's plan for this world? Where do we fit in? What is God's will for my life? What is my calling? How am I to live? What am I to love? What am I to hate? What am I to value? What am I to shun? What am I to pursue? All of this comes to us the more we know and love and grow in Christ. The danger is that we would become deluded with plausible arguments, that someone would come in with 
sophistry, with sophisticated arguments in favor of false teaching and would lead us away, away from this deeply rooted, robust Christ-centeredness. The firmness of our faith in Christ is what causes Paul to rejoice. And that's what he wants us to grow in more and more. And so, he says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Sometimes uh, in the Christian life, we think, okay, I get the whole Jesus thing. He died for my sins. My sins are forgiven. He's the son of God. He went into heaven. He's coming again. I, I get it. I get the whole Jesus thing. I feel like I need something more. I feel like I need like secret knowledge or or insight into what what is God really up to in the world? And and if the answer is he's up to Christ. <laughs> Christ is the plan for the ages, the plan for the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ for the winning of the lost out of every tribe, tongue, people and nation to the obedience of faith that comes through Christ. Christ Christ. And we say, well, yeah, but there's got to be something more. I mean, there's got to be some hidden agenda. There's got to be some secret knowledge. There's got to be some, and it's no, no, no. One name that this false teaching was given in the early days of the church was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, gnosis, which if you replace the G with a K, you get no, K-N-O-W right? No knowledge, knowingness. And that's exactly where our word to know comes from. It comes from this Greek word gnosis. And so it was this teaching that there are secret things of God, hidden things of God that you can search out if you understand the right way to read, the right way to read scripture, which isn't the plain meaning of the text in its context, but it's rather the hidden secret codes that are there. If you understand these these things. And this is where people come up with trying to predict when Jesus is coming back again. This is where people try to come up with what is the mark of the beast and how can we be aware of it? This is when people come up with, you know, what is the secret to this powerful lifestyle? What are the exact words you need to say? All this stuff is Gnostic. A lot of conspiracy theories are driven by a form of Gnosticism. It's the idea that we're the ones who really know what's really going on. You see, really, there's this conspiracy between this group and this group and this group and what 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 the world's being fed is a bunch of lies but we're the ones who are in the know that's that same spirit of gnosticism that says there's got to be a secret knowledge well paul tells us repeatedly christ tells us repeatedly the scriptures tell us repeatedly what is the mystery that the world doesn't get what is the secret knowledge that the world doesn't understand it's not hidden god's revealed it it's jesus christ who is God made flesh, the salvation and righteousness of God, in whom are hidden all the mysteries, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the, he's the word of God. He's the wisdom of God. He's the knowledge of God. It is Christ, Christ, Christ. And so we've received Christ. We want to walk in him. We want to be rooted in him. We want to be built up in him. The alternative is that we get taken in by deceitful things. Now, 
he talks to us about Christ, and he also talks to us about how we grow in Christ. And this is where it gets a little bit confusing. For in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Got it. Christ is God in the flesh. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. If you are in Christ by faith, united to Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, you're in Christ. And that means if Christ is in you, you are in the one, right, in whom there's all the fullness of the deity and who has who's the head of all rule and authority. That's a pretty high privilege. I belong to, I am united to the one in whom there is all wisdom and knowledge, in whom the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So this is talking about what Christ has done for us and what Christ has done in us. And you got to be careful. Circumcision was a picture in the Old Testament, the cutting off and the discarding of the foreskin as a picture of putting off the flesh, the sinful nature, the hard and stony heart that doesn't respond to God in tender love and affection. Christ was circumcised by the circumcision of Christ. Christ himself was cut off. This is the language used in Isaiah 53. He was cut off for the transgressions of my people. That's that same idea. Christ was circumcised on the cross. He was cut off for the sins of our people. That's why later, when it talks about um, this, it says that Christ canceled the record of debt that stood against us in the cross. He's taking us to the cross. He's not taking us to some hidden, mysterious, secret thing. He's taking us to the cross. He's just talking about it in different ways. Through Christ, right, our flesh, our sinful nature, as the dominating influence in our lives, was put off when our record of debt was canceled that stood against us. It was nailed to the cross. Satan was disarmed from being our ruler. He was put to open shame as Christ triumphed over him. Now, how do we receive this? It's having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. We're going to highlight this in blue because it's talking about baptism. The red is circumcision for being cut off in the blood of the cross. And this is the blue of, the, of baptism. But here's the thing. Verse 12 cannot be talking about water baptism. It can't be. You think, well, it's saying it's baptism. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, especially if you're a Baptist, you're thinking being immersed under the water and raised up again. Um, that's a whole other story, but... This isn't talking about water baptism at all, because this is something that is done without hands. And this is something that unites us to Christ in such a way that the body of flesh is put off and that we are made in Christ. We're, we're made in Christ. We're filled in Christ. We're united to Christ. This is not water baptism itself, but it is what water baptism pictures which is, we could call it spirit baptism, spiritual baptism. It's the fulfillment of water baptism. 
It's the Holy Spirit who comes to us and takes out the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. We talked about this on Sunday in the sermon. God takes out a heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh. That's the Spirit's work of regeneration, of renewal. It doesn't happen in the waters of baptism, but the waters of baptism are the picture of it. They're the sacrament, the, the picture and the promise, the sign and the seal of it. And so we know it's not water baptism because it's a circumcision made without hands. And think about it, if it was water baptism, that would mean that everybody who had ever received water baptism would truly be united to Christ, would truly have been born again, have the body of flesh put off, would be an eternally secure child of God, having everything in Christ. Is that true of everyone who's been baptized? It doesn't matter if you're talking about infant baptism or believer's baptism. It's not true of everyone who's been baptized. It's just not. Could even say that, well, a substantial number, if not the vast majority of people who receive water baptism don't ever receive the fulfillment of that. Just as in Israel, those who received the sign of circumcision often never received what circumcision was pointing to, which was heart circumcision, which is the same idea. Being born again, having your heart of stone taken out and replaced with a heart of flesh. But for those of us who have had that, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit, it's without hands. It's we are united to Christ by the Holy Spirit working in us, baptizing us into Christ by the Spirit, pictured in water, fulfilled by the Spirit. And then you see your your. You were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision, but God made us alive together with him in this baptism, right? This is part of what God does in this baptism, which again is not water baptism. It can't be water baptism or else water baptism itself would save people. And then what we would do is just go around baptizing people. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I wasn't sent by God to baptize you, but to preach the gospel which means the preaching of the gospel and the believing of the gospel is the is the key matter for salvation, not water baptism. Water baptism is a good picture of this, but one of the problems that's been made throughout the history of the church is to confuse the picture with the reality, and that's called sacramentalism. Sacramentalism is where you take the picture, baptism, water, water baptism, and you confuse it for the reality, spirit baptism, being born again, being regenerated, being given a new heart, being cleansed of our sin and being united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. You confuse those two things and you think that that happens in water baptism, which the Catholic Church teaches, what the Lutheran Church teaches, what some of the Anglican Church teaches. That's not what happens. It, it happens when that, is, when that sign is fulfilled in spirit baptism. He says, therefore... Don't let anyone pass judgment on you regarding questions of food or drink or with a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. In other words, he's saying, don't go back to the, the types and the shadows and the anticipations of the things that are merely physical and that aren't actually powerful for changing your heart. All of these things, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, all of these external things. We human beings are so good at external religiosity. Give me the list of rules. Tell me to keep them. That way I can know I've done my job and I can say, duty completed. No. Because we're not our own savior, are we? 
It is Christ who is our Savior. He's the fullness of God in human form. He's the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge. He's the forgiveness of all of our sin. He's the canceling of the record of debt that stands against us with its legal demands. He's the triumph over the enemy of sin and Satan and our flesh and the world and death and hell. They've all been defeated and conquered forever by Christ, not by you and what you do, not by me and what I do, but by Christ. And that's why the key issue is, do you belong to Jesus by faith? Are you growing in your knowledge of and love for Jesus? Is the Spirit deepening you, your rootedness, your establishedness in Christ? Or are you looking around thinking that there's something else you're missing out on, some religious duty, some diet, some festival, some feast, some ceremony, some ritual, some self-righteousness that you need in order to make up for what you lack. If you have Christ, you don't lack anything. You just don't know the fullness of what you have, and so you should grow in that knowledge and understanding. Well, that's all we have time for. We've gone long again. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to write these things deep in our hearts. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. It is full of life. And that life is all found in Christ. It's so simple. And yet Christ is not simple. Christ is deep, rich, treasure, fullness, power, forgiveness, life. It's all found in Jesus, our Savior. Help us to be satisfied with him. Help us to meditate on him. Help us to grow more deeply in him. For we need him and him alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tomorrow we're going to be going back to Deuteronomy for chapter 7. Hope you have a blessed day in the Lord.